everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. Tony and Jackie here joined by our marquee sports network contributor, Bruce Levine. And Bruce, first off, Happy New Year. How's everything going for you this afternoon? It's going great. Uh, spring training isn't far away. Cub convention right around the corner. So with all that in mind, you know, baseball fans can get enthused about the fact that the NFL is at least for the Chicago portion, is over with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, fun end to the Bears season. Maybe not the final game, but at least they made some some things interesting there. Um, but the Cubs have been super quiet this offseason, Bruce. I, I'm surprised by how quiet they've been. I thought there would be more moves. Obviously, the one big move they had was Craig Council at manager now. But are you a little surprised that it's been a slow-moving offseason just from the Cubs' perspective? No, not at all. Because cause I, I felt from the beginning because... Scott Boris has so many clients that are free agents that can help the Chicago Cubs that it would be a much slower marketplace because of the fact that Scott doesn't move uh, all that quickly in the offseason. He is very stealth about getting one free agent signed, then kind of the domino effect of, well, I got him done. Let's get him done. Let's get him done. And with the Chicago Cubs, you have to understand that there's at least two, maybe three players that really fit for them that are Boris age that are Boris free agents with that in mind you know you have a first baseman a third baseman a center fielder first baseman even some pitchers that they might have been looking at like Montgomery and you're talking Reese Hoskins Matt Chapman and Cody Bellinger of course so um I, I think that's definitely a good point like those are the guys that would fit and that's a little bit of where the Cubs are at too, right? They have a lot of young guys coming up and they have a lot of positions that are more solidified, I think, this offseason than the last few offseasons that we've seen. I mean, they know they locked up Ian Happ and Nico Horner early in 2023, so we know that those positions are, are going to be here for a while. Obviously, say in right field, Dansby Swanson at shortstop, Jan Gomes is back, Miguel Amaya is coming on. So there are more positions, I feel like, that are solidified than really the last two, three, four winters that we've seen. So I agree with you for sure there, but how do you see this playing out through the rest of the offseason with some of these guys? And I know Boris never likes to rush things. There's no reason for him or even Bellinger to like rush a decision when it is the rest of his career. How do you see this playing out, maybe particularly with Cody, but some of these other guys? Well, I think it's important that uh, the Cubs uh, move on Bellinger, okay? I think he's the most important acquisition of the offseason for them on, on so many different levels. You have a guy that's an all-star center fielder. You have a guy that's an all-star first baseman. You, you have a, a guy that's an all-star gold glover center fielder, gold glover first baseman. You have a left-handed bat, which is essential. You have a left-handed power bat. You have a guy that can run the bases. Okay, so from all of these components. Good guy, too. Yeah. I mean, all these components mean... Just to get back to where you feel you're, you were competitive the way you were last year, being sixth in the, in the league in run scored, you have to have him back in that lineup. And uh, the, the game is, does Hoyer just give in to what the agent and the player want, or is he stealth about the fact that he has as much intel about what other teams may be offering, what their needs are, and when they pounce with their deal, that's six or seven years. That is the game that we're watching being played right now. Do you feel differently about the Bellinger market? I know we asked you on this podcast early in the offseason 
Uh, it, it feels like in some ways things have changed, like the Giants signed the center fielder you know, as well, and I thought they would be big players. It doesn't necessarily take them out of the Bellinger market, but do you feel a little bit differently? Do you think that it's maybe a little bit more likely now than at the early in the offseason that Bellinger would return to Chicago, or do you still feel it kind of the same? I, I just don't think he has the, the market uh, out there that uh, gives the impression that he must be signed for eight years, okay? I, I think it's it's a more likely a six-year contract, maybe with a, a seventh-year option. I think it's between 25 and $28 million. You know, the agent's job, in this case, Scott Boris, is to try to get a 10-year, $300 million you know, job for a guy that's 28 and has all this great value. The reality is, is that, you know, two or three of his previous years were not all that good. So it's not a guarantee that he's going to give you what he gave you last year. Uh, On the other hand, uh, everything that we saw about Bellinger uh, makes the Cubs feel confident that bringing him back is probably the right move. Yeah, and I think that's a good point and it's one that like Andy and I have talked about a bunch too is just if you're going to pay a guy or overpay a guy I think is a better way to term this and you mentioned that too just is Jed going to be the one that overpays is another organization going to be the person that overpays for Cody Bellinger but if you are ever going to overpay for somebody wouldn't it be a guy like Bellinger who you had for a year you oversaw his comeback attempt where he won comeback player of the year by a couple different outlets he was an MVP vote getter after two, three years in LA where, you know, he had the MVP season and then obviously cratered in terms of productions. But you know what he brings, you know what he brings defensively, you know what he brings off the field, you know what kind of person he is, what kind of worker, how he meshes with then coaching staff, but also front office. Is there a little bit to that that like if you're gonna overpay, it's for a guy like that that is much more of a known commodity than a f- true free agent? I think the Cubs are done overpaying for people. Uh, I think they believe that they have a good base, they have a good farm system, uh, that they're the place where people should want to come and play. So I, I don't think that you can afford to go into any type of conversations with a guy like Scott Boris and give the impression that, okay, Scott, whatever you want, we're going to give you. Okay, we offered 26 million times six, we'll give you 28 million times eight. Okay, that's, that's probably not a good negotiating process. You have to be able to convince the other side that the players wanted, but that you're only going to go so far. And then the rest is up to the player. Where does he want to play? How essential is it for him and his wife or his future wife to be able to come back to Chicago and say, this is where we wanted to be all along? Will that be part of the rhetoric if he resigns here? That, you know, we didn't want to go to Toronto or San Francisco the reality was we wanted to come back to Chicago. We like what it's all about here at Clark and Addison. Yeah, no, it's a good point for sure. And um, I think Cubs fans are very, very eager to see what happens with this Belgian market and also when it happens. Like you said at the beginning of the podcast, spring training is right around the corner. We're just over a month away from pitchers and catchers reporting. So, yeah, I, I think we're, we'll have a conclusion soon. Don't know exactly when that will be. But one thing you brought up, Bruce, uh, just in terms of the Cubs farm system, I think there's so much, and I fall into it too, is like you look at free agents, right? And fans look at this, this is who remains in the free agent market. This is who's available from abroad or domestic free agents. 
And this is the only options the Cubs have. But there is a trade market as well. And like just because the Cubs don't get Bellinger or don't sign uh, Jordan Montgomery or Imanaga for the rotation or whatever else, that there are other options to augment this roster and that the Cubs have a bunch of young guys that are appealing uh, options for other teams in trade markets as well, right? Well, look, if uh, I say the Cubs have the young players to get Dylan Cease from the Chicago White Sox, and you put Dylan Cease in that frame with the other pitchers that they have right now, we don't know about Imanaga or not right now, but you know that might be close. The, the reality is, is that the Cubs are an automatic favorite if you put Dylan Cease in there, okay? You sign Bellinger, you have Cease, they're the number one pick to win the division in 2024. Uh, is that good enough for you? Uh, and then what type of inventory does it take to get Dylan Cease? Are you willing to give up Cade Horton? Okay. Are you willing to give up Canario? Are you willing to give up some of the lower level players that are rated uh, very high in the system? Uh, many times, Jed Hoyer's talked about the fact that you develop players for your major league team and also to be able to continue to build your team through trades. So at this point, you know, you have the number four rated uh, system by many prognosticators in baseball, but uh, are you willing to part with some of those pieces to complete your major league team right now? Yeah, and, and there are a lot of guys. I mean, you just mentioned a couple in Kate Horton and Alexander Canario, but there's also like the Ben Browns and maybe Hayden Wesneski has some some trade value. And just throwing names out, just in terms of there are there's a surplus of guys that are in AAA or close to the big leagues that would help a team, but maybe not necessarily what the Cubs want to go into the season with. Hayden Wesneski as their fifth starter, or Jordan Wicks, or Javier Sad, or whatever else. When they have eyes on the the top of the division and contending and building this World Series core, there's a little bit of like the now, the the being competitive now versus development as well. So yeah, the, like you said. It's prospect capital and building that up. And Jed has done such a good job over the last three, four years in order to do that. That, yeah, I mean, that they are one of the best farm systems in baseball to potentially pull off a deal like this. I mean, would you trade Pete Crow Armstrong and Brown in a deal for a cease? Okay. It sounds like a very high price to pay from perspective of, well, that's our top guys in the farm system, two of our top five or seven. On the other hand, you're getting uh, a guy that goes 200 innings, strikes out 200 guys, and can be your ace uh, to go along with, you know, the, the top of your order, you know, with steel. You might have the best one-two in the National League. What is that worth to you? Do you think there's anything, you brought up Cease a couple times, do you think there's anything to just the fact that the Cubs traded him in the first place and there's a little bit of, like, Jed was obviously a part of that deal with the White Sox for Jose Quintana in 17. Do you think there's even a little bit of, like, okay, well, technically they traded, you know, Cease for a few years and Eloy and got back Quintana and then would end up saying, just for your example, PCA and Ben Brown going for Cease. Do you think there's any added component to that given that he was originally part of the Cubs deal? Other than they know his makeup, they know his abilities, they signed him and developed him initially in their farm system before he went to the White Sox, so that they know a lot about him. Uh, that, that's a good sign. Uh, the other part is, is that uh, as far as the Chicago angle goes of not getting burned on a Sammy Sosa for George Bell trade or the perception that Quintana was an overpay, uh, was an overpay for Cease and for Jimenez, for Quintana. 
that that's an always changing situation. I mean, a year ago it looked like Cease and uh, and, and trading Eloy was a huge overpay. Now Eloy's had a couple bad years in a row. Cease is coming off of a uh, not as good a year from the year before. Perceptions of trades uh, kind of move with the times, and, and it might be looked at differently now than it was a year or two ago. Well, yeah, and in 2017, obviously, it was a very different story. Like the entire World Series wing core was here. They were trying to make another run again. They felt like Quintana, going back to my point about winning now versus development, they gave up a high price at the time. But, yeah, I mean, there was also not the DH in the National League. They weren't really sure where Eloy was going to play. All of these different things that obviously Cease turned in in 2022 turned into a Cy Young candidate. Two other things about Cease, and, again, we're not saying – the Cubs are going to trade for him, but they're certainly in a position to be in the conversation. And that is, he's never missed a start since 2019, made every start. And on top of that, he's only going to cost you, in the realm of pitching uh, costs, probably $25 million over two years. He's going to make $8 million this year, probably max out at 15 or 16 next year. So from that perspective, he fits into your short-term situation even better because he's not impacting you from going out and getting other inventory yeah and i think the cubs could certainly use a swing and miss guy in their rotation as well uh that's something that andy and i've talked about on the podcast about why a guy like tyler glass now would have made a lot of sense obviously before the dodgers traded for him and gave him a big extension another guy who has swing and miss stuff at least in japan so far is shota imanaga i'm struggling saying that name at times imanaga but he's on the market um as we're recording this on tuesday afternoon Thursday is when his he has to make a decision by. So this may be slightly outdated depending on when you're listening to this. But Bruce, what's the latest? You know, just in terms of how you feel the Cubs fit in that. We saw John Heyman just earlier today on Tuesday say that the Cubs and uh, Red Sox were the two finalists for him. It's an ever-changing market. It was like as recently as Monday night. I think it was the Giants and Angels were in there as well. Uh, where do you see this? What's the latest on Imanaga? Well, I believe the Cubs have been in on him all the way. They've been stealth about it. I think the upper management people of the Cubs uh, front office are the only ones that have been involved talking about it. They didn't want to this thing to get away from them as far as uh, being perceived as wanting him more than other teams, but they, they've been on it from the very beginning. It's going to be somewhere around five years, probably 15 to $20 million a year. He is a guy that, as you said, strikes out more than uh, one per inning, uh, quite a bit more last year. Not in the conventional se- uh, sense of blowing people away with his fastball, but he has uh, a 73-mile-an-hour curveball. He's a 82-mile-an-hour splitter. He has a great changeup. He uses his fastball as a changeup. So that that's not his go-to pitch. It's more of... You can wait for the fastball, and it's 91, 92 tops. But it's going to be a rising fastball, mostly out of the zone. So uh, this is a guy that's a complete pitcher, has pitched very well in Japan, I think would fit in beautifully with the Cubs. How do you see him fitting, too, just in the rotation? You know, there's so much talk, even just in the last year or two, about pitchers from Japan coming over and then maybe the potential of six-man rotation or whatever else. Do you think... And again, this is looking ahead just a bit, but do you think that would have any impact as well? I think last year he only made like 24 starts, I believe. Right. So he's never a guy that's that's consistently gone out there and pitched 32 times a season. 
Well, Tony, if you look at the trends of pitching, you know, the average start is 5.1, okay? And that's been kind of level the last four years. People are not expecting as much as far as innings inventory out of people. I think a six-man rotation for portions of a season, depending on who's pitching well and who's healthy in your system, makes sense. I mean, you could start the season with a six-man. You could have Smiley included in that as well. Uh, you could have Wesneski included in that. Then you could they could slowly, some of these guys, morph into middle roles where they're pitching twice a week and they're an extension of a, some other pitcher's start. Because, again, you have uh, three and two-thirds innings to complete, mostly when you uh, start a ball game because you know you're going to get 5-1 out of the starting pitcher. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so we're going to take a quick break here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. When we come back, we're going to preview the Cubs convention a little bit and continue to talk about the Cubs offseason. Get your Wintrust exclusive debit card. Get your Cubs card. Ooh, I'll take one. How much? Actually, they pay you $300. You heard right. Get a $300 bonus when you open a Cubs checking account with Wintrust. Enjoy all perks and purchase with pride every time with your Wintrust Cubs debit card. $300? Wait, what? I'll, I'll take a $300. $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $300? $
Craig Council talked about the fact that we have to find a spot right. for uh, Christopher Morrell. And that, that's, to me, that's still more likely at third base. No, I agree for sure. And I think Andy and I have talked about this as well. Just like the Chapman thing doesn't quite, I don't see the dots connecting there quite as easily as any of the other moves just because, yes, there's Morrell. There's also, you know, Madrigal and Wisdom and Mastroboni. And not that these are guys that you don't sign Matt Chapman for, but you have a bunch of options and you have some guys in the minor leagues that are coming and you know Matt Shaw is, is this good prospect and you have guys down the line that the Cubs feel very good about and understandably so first base to me is I feel like the area that is the probably the biggest is the biggest problem I think in center field you know you have Talkman, Canario, PCA you have options out there first base you don't really have options you have wisdom you know as I just mentioned already he hasn't played a ton at first uh, defense over there, you know, hasn't seemed to be like amazing either. Obviously, it's more of a new position for him, but he's also not a guy that the Cubs want playing every day. Right. Matt Mervis, you know, was up for a bit, like a month and a half, struggled, went back down. We never saw him again. Right. I mean, you, ideally, you want Mervis to continue to progress mm-hmm. and that he matures and he, he's ready to go with a power bat, left-handed bat, fits perfectly in what you want in that lineup. But you, you can't necessarily count on that going into 2024. Not if you want to contend for the division. Absolutely. Like, you need at least some sort of safety net. And, like, what the Cubs did last year going in with Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini. It didn't end up working out. But you could clearly see what the Cubs were looking for there. They didn't just hand the job to Mervis. And I would say the shine on his prospect status a year ago was better than it is now on Mervis. Right. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the Cubs certainly need some cover at first base. Maybe it is Morrell. I'm a little bit more hesitant on that because, like you mentioned, he never ended up playing first base in winter ball, and we don't know how he ends up there. Maybe he plays there a ton in spring training, and they give him you know, a little bit more runway at the position. But I, I, it's one thing that I'm going to have to see that before I really believe right. that he is an option at first. I, I think that the perception over the years, decades, century, is that first base is an easy position. There's nothing, there's nothing easy about first base it's only easy is if you have a competent guy there and I think we saw last year on multiple occasions by not having a competent defender at first how that hurt the the Cubs Uh, the Cubs were considered a top defensive team but at certain points during that year they looked awfully sloppy and first base you know handles so many different balls over there you have to be good there so again Morrell played uh, no games at first during winter ball, but the Cubs did have coaches down there working out in pregames with him at first base. So they are preparing for somewhat of a transition if that can be worked out, if they don't trade for a first baseman or, or sign a free agent this offseason. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to Bellinger too, why he is the most important guy that for the Cubs this offseason is if he comes back, he can certainly fill first base. He can fill center field. And, and like you mentioned, too, I think that left-handed power bat is huge because Hoskins and Chapman, while very accomplished hitters, are both righties. And the Cubs are already very righty-heavy as well. So that's that's all. the other thing that I'm looking at this winter is, like, do the Cubs add another left-handed bat? Whether it's Bellinger or not, if it's not, they definitely need to add a left-handed bat. I don't quite know where they go with that. You know, a veteran like Brandon Belt's still out there. There are some other options that they could pivot to. And then even if they bring Bellinger back, they could always use another left-handed bat as well as maybe a DH option, especially if Morrell's playing more in the field. And, and the same thing can be said in the opposite with the pitching staff. Uh, I, I know a lot of people have concerns, well, if they sign Imanaga, you know, the possibility of having four left-handed starting pitchers, uh, 
do you set yourself up for failure in some series if you have, you're too left-handed and the other team gets a look at that that are mostly uh, right-handed dominant lineups do, do you, all of a sudden you put yourself in jeopardy of winning some series because you are too left-handed yeah and the four guys would be if jordan wicks is a part of that and drew smiley who you mentioned earlier too he was he pitched very well out of the bullpen pitched really well out of the rotation to start the year too then struggled He's making, I think, $10.5 million in this season in 24. So I imagine that they'll give him every kind of runway to, to make the rotation. That's a, that's a pretty hefty price tag for a reliever who's a middle reliever or setup guy. So, yeah, I mean, the rotation is certainly going to be interesting, especially if they add a guy like Imanaga. All right, so Cubs convention is coming up, Bruce. Uh, we know the Imanaga uh, deadline, I guess, on Thursday. Independent of that, do you see the Cubs making any moves before Cubs convention or this weekend that, that Cubs can kind of celebrate? You know, you, you never know. I mean, uh, they could. I, I think that, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's only going to take, you know, Imanaga or Bellinger to get them rolling on some other moves here. Uh, Cub fans should just keep in mind that, you know, we're sitting here in the first or second week of January. Don't worry, okay? The Cubs front office wants to win as badly as you do. They don't want to sit on a pile of money. They want to be smart about their moves. And also remember, you know, they won 83 games last year. The, the arrow is pointing up, okay, on the farm system, on the team. They feel much better about their team right now going into spring training than they did last year, and that was after a number of moves. They still have one of the top defensive teams on paper going in. They are more solidified in the rotation. Uh, there's guys established in the bullpen that people had never even heard of going into last year. So uh, it's not going to take a million moves to make the Cubs one of the top teams in the Central. I think uh, stealthily, once they do that uh, in the next couple weeks here, I think Cub fans are going to feel a little differently about it. So you're not expecting like uh, Cody Bellinger to be announced on Friday. It's a secret, just like Kerry Wood. What was that 2012 Cubs convention, I think, right. that Kerry Wood came back? You're not expecting something like that? I, I mean, I, I wouldn't put it by <laughs> anybody. but uh, That would be I a think, heck of a secret. I, think, I don't think they're going to do any of these things to appease the Chicago Cub fans. Chicago Cub fans are going to come out regardless, whether they have the move on January the 10th or on February the 10th. Uh, it's going to be a ball cup that we're going to come out and support regardless. I, I, I will say I'm looking forward to the Cub convention and, and just seeing all those smiling faces of fans and knowing that baseball's around the corner and kids getting autographs. And, you know, it's just it's, it's a great time. It's always uh, been fantastic. You know, I've been to about 40 of them, and, and, and it never ceases to amaze me the excitement that Cub fans have about their team. You touched on it a bit, but what are you looking forward to most about this particular Cubs convention? Well, probably um, the the idea that um, the Cub players on this team expect to win. Okay, they came one game short of making the playoffs last year. There was there's an inertia of confidence building in this on this team. There are leaders developing within. You had Swanson come in, Bellinger come in that help lead. Last year, but you also have internal leaders like, uh, you know, a Horner who has developed into a young leader. You you had even though he was a veteran, you have Gomes who stepped up to become a leader on this team last year. So, internally, I believe there's uh, a lot of growth. You know, we saw what happened with 
Justin Steele to a who is this guy to be one of the best pitchers in the league. I, I just think there's some internal confidence about this team that consider themselves winners going into this year. Yeah, and as you mentioned too, this really is, Cubs convention is the signal that baseball is around the corner. It's, it's almost exactly a month away from pitchers and catchers reporting. And so that's one thing I'm looking forward to too, for sure, is like everybody turns their attention towards what's coming up in a month and what comes up in the ensuing six and a half, seven and a half months, maybe even eight and a half if the, if the Cubs have a deep playoff run in them. Um, I'm also looking forward to the 2016 panel. I think that'll be really cool to, to see and hear a lot of guys from that team kind of reminisce. And, and that's something that um, obviously was such an impactful year for the, this franchise, for fans. But it'll just be cool. And like I always love those panels when you get a bunch of guys who are teammates and play together, played together. Uh, some of the alumni coming up and talking. And I, I remember from like, I think it was four or five years ago that like Derek Lee and Carlos Zambrano were on a panel. And I can't remember the exact uh, panel or like maybe what year it was, but it was uh, it was just so much fun because they had so many stories. And it, was, it ended up just being like a riot to listen to. Uh, There's more laughter than I was even expecting, but it was like two big personalities in Cubs lore that had a chance to to be up there and talk and tell a bunch of stories from their playing days and stories that they probably didn't even go into saying like, oh yeah, I can't wait to to retell this type of thing. It's just natural. It comes up. Somebody asks a question or fans get a chance to interact with five, four, five, six of the guys who are on the, the World Series winning team. I think that'll be a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I am as well. I mean, obviously some of the guys won't be able to make it because they're they're on other teams, so it wouldn't be you know appropriate to show up for a, another team's <laughs> convention. You know if you're, you know if you're Rizzo or you're Baez or you're Bryant. But uh, certainly there there's so many great contributors from that time that will be there that'll be able to enjoy uh, some of these seminars and reconnecting with the fan base. Yeah, definitely. So definitely stay tuned to that. We will have the complete. Cubs convention 2024 Cubs convention on marquee sports network all day all evening on Friday then all day on Saturday for all the panels for the blue carpet special opening ceremonies hosted by our own Cole Wright all of those different things so be sure to check it out on marquee sports network and then also to on the watch marquee app as well uh, we will have everything on there the entire panels uh, interviews from throughout the time everything that Bruce has to say for us throughout the weekend. It'll be awesome. So check it out this weekend and in the ensuing weeks. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And as always, check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app. Thanks as always for tuning in and listening.